Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hit and Run podcast, where conversation collides. My name is Robbie Alexander, and I am joined, as always, by... Natalie Dunn. Here we are, season five finale. It's crazy. So we chug into the abyss of October. <laughs> but we're not done for the year. We'll have two specials in the next two months. We'll have a wedding special in November because we're going to do a live, not a live special, but we'll we'll be on location the night before the wedding. Whoa, it's going to be good. And then <laughs> in December, we'll also do a Christmas special. But as far as your weekly dose of the Hit and Run podcast, this is it until 2022. And what a year it's been. Oh my gosh, what a year it's been. Been a good year, been a good time. <laughs> So we figured we'd go out with a bang. I was going to segue that better. (laughs) (laughs) I started just rolling and I kind of lost it. But no, we've got a really good episode today. So if you remember in the summer season, we did what we called the conspiracy episode. And in that episode, Natalie opened our eyes to this whole dairy and cheese conspiracy that is the U.S. just buying large quantities of dairy products and hoarding them in cheese caves in the state of Missouri. And it goes way beyond that as far as Tony the Tiger being a double agent and he's really just trying to sell dairy products for the government and the powdered cheese and the moldy cheese and it's just the the whole thing. And I believe Kraft is also stationed at the mines, the cheese Mm -hmm. mines. It's wild. And we got really positive feedback from that episode. So we're going to turn this into a reoccurring series, a conspiracy series, if you will. Let's just just call it that. I don't like that. You don't like conspiracy (laughs) series? No. What do you want to call it then? I don't think it needs a special name. We'll come up with a special name. (laughs) Either way, we're doing another conspiracy theory episode. And this time I will be giving the deets. Uh, That's right. I stumbled upon a major company conspiracy, and I'm about to open all your guys' eyes. I actually didn't stumble upon this one. Hillary stumbled upon this one very shortly after we did the first conspiracy theory episode, and we started digging deeper. And my goodness, there's so many levels to this whole story. So... This is actually going to be a two-parter. We're doing part one now, which is, I think, the more kind of funny, like, what the crap, kind of like the cheese mines, you know? It's more on that side. But part two, we'll dig deeper into the players that were orchestrating this whole movement. And both episodes are going to be great, let me tell you. They are... This is one of the most wild stories I've ever heard or read about. And as I said, the the more we dug, just the crazier it got. So are you ready, Nat? I'm ready. All right. So I don't really think there's a great way to start this. I honestly have been kind of spending most of my day in the back of my mind being like, how can I really just open this up? And there's not a good way. We just kind of have to dive straight into the crazy. So much like the cheese, much like we always stumble upon or kind of just fall into talking about food, this also has to do with food in a way. So here we go. Buckle buckle those seatbelts and uh, tighten those undies because we're, <laughs> we're about to go on a journey 
back into the early, early 20th century. That's right. And it's around 1910. So as we all know, early 1900s, America was evolving and the landscape of it was changing rapidly. We had a ton of immigrants coming to the country. Cities were becoming overpopulated. That is known pretty much by everybody in the US. What a lot of people don't know was as a correlation to that, a lot of resources were starting to become depleted because the United States was not used to that population boom. There was overgrazed farmland. There was, as I said, high rates of immigration, increased populations within the cities, and a lot of resources were becoming depleted. And as a correlation, meat prices just started to soar, so much so that people were afraid that we were gonna run out of meat in the country. So it became this whole thing called the meat question, which was A, how do we get more meat for our people? And B, what is that gonna look like long term? And there are some theories thrown around here and there. And eventually we settled on one, which we'll, you know, eventually get to. But what we're gonna concentrate on right now was the answer to the meat question brought about by two very colorful characters. Fritz Duquesne and Frederick Russell Burnham. And you'll never guess their proposal to solving this meat crisis. Do you have any guesses? No. You don't have a single guess? I No, I don't really so, know where this is going. We've talked about this a lot on the show. What animal do I always talk about wanting to race? Chickens? No. More dangerous than chickens. Hippos? Yes. Oh, you said race, not raise. I do want to race chickens. That is correct. So you weren't wrong there. <laughs> but I want to race hippos. Saddle up. Let's go. That was their answer. They proposed hippopotamus as the meat answer. A couple quick things about Mr. Burnham and Mr. Duquesne. As I said, we'll have a whole nother episode where we really just dive into these two guys because they have this whole history of being not only eccentric characters in and of themselves, but a whole history with each other. And I won't give too much away right there. But just a few things to know about them. Similarities, they both spent time in Africa. They both came up with the idea of introducing hippopotamus meat to the United States independently of each other. It wasn't until afterwards that they kind of teamed up to push this agenda forward. And they also both were spies. And they also had a penchant for posing with animals they slaughtered, most likely in Africa. And that's pretty much where their similarities ended. Mr. Burnham was actually the inspiration for both both Indiana Jones and the Boy Scouts, if you can believe that. So the imagine Harrison Ford pitching hippopotamus meat as a solution to <laughs> overpopulation and depletion of food resources. So he was more of an upstanding guy. Fritz Duquesne, on the other hand, was not. He was a con man with many aliases, and he had gained notoriety later in his life for the Duquesne spy ring and faking his own death. That's a teaser for part two, but that's really all we'll get into their backgrounds. So let's go back to why hippopotamus meat, right? Well, if you ask Mr. Burnham that, his response was, why not? He reasoned that we had imported cows, sheep, and poultry and pigs and, you know, the normal meat sources that we eat from Europe. So why not hippos? <laughs> he also noted that other exotic species have been imported and integrated into American culture. At that time, the two main stories were ostriches in California and African camels at some point in the Southwest. And a side what? note there was that the army was looking into 
I don't even think it was the US Army, I believe it was the Confederate Army, was looking to utilize using camels in the United States desert because they could go for longer ranges than horses. And they do. It's scientific fact that camels are way better in the desert than horses. However, none of the Confederate soldiers wanted to ride the camels because they thought it was really freaking weird. So what did they do? <laughs> they just let the camels go wild and they never talked about it again. <laughs> So Mr. Duquesne and Mr. Burnham were hoping that the hippopotamus answer to the meat question would become ingrained in popular culture. So that was his first argument was we've done it with other animals. The livestock that we eat now were not native to the U.S. That was brought in. Why can't we do the same thing with hippopotamuses? His rationale was that it wasn't a physical thing for why people couldn't eat hippos. It was a psychological thing. And if we could get past that mental barrier, then it would become normal. So that was his whole argument for why we should eat hippos. And I want to pause right there and just get your initial reaction to this whole story so far. I don't think the hippos would taste good. That's your first reaction? Is that you don't think they would taste good? No, they're like all fat. They do have a lot of blubber yes like i don't think there would be a lot of good meat on a hippo other questionable judgments aside like you know just the one i've said this before and i'll say it again hippos are incredibly dangerous so you know breeding them seems like a bad idea um but also yeah i don't i don't see why why are they the best source of meat to solve this problem well it was kind of a two-part reason so before i get back into the story you mentioned that hippos are extremely dangerous let's talk about hippopotamuses for a second they are the third largest land mammal in the entire world they can run up to 19 miles per hour over short distances and i didn't do the research on this part but i believe that rivals cows so you know apples and oranges right there <laughs> They eat mostly plants, but have been known to be carnivorous if hungry and angry enough. I think that's the biggest problem with hippos, especially in captivity, is that they're angry. Like they genuinely, like they hold grudges and they get mad at their human keepers and they're gigantic so they can crush them. I have dealt with cows that hold grudges. <laughs> But a cow is not the size of a hippo. A cow could still hurt you. But oh, I've a hippo had cows can... try to kick me before. But I knew it was coming. But imagine asshole. that, but a hippo. I don't think hip can hippos kick to the side like cows, though? See, that's where cows have the advantage. Probably not, it's but hippos like can literally just fall on you and crush just you. Just roll over like a... That's what they do. Is it really? Yeah. Like, that's why hippos are so dangerous. Can you imagine them just barrel rolling down a hill at somebody? Just <laughs> <laughs> and also, their mouth is incredibly strong. That is true. Some cons besides that to hippos... <laughs> Conflicting studies have on the impact of their poop and waterways indicate that they some say they provide nutrients to fish and plants, but others say that too much and it's actually toxic, which to that I say too much of anything is toxic. When they come onto land, they stamp out most vegetation that is in their path and have been known to divert the direction of streams and other small tributaries. And the big one, they are aggressive and they have very few predators once they reach adulthood. They've been known to kill crocodiles, lions, and hyenas that get too close. Anything that wanders in their way when they are in a bad mood is free game for them. And as Nat just mentioned, including zookeepers or as these two gentlemen were suggesting, ranchers. They are definitely known to attack humans and are capable of capsizing small boats. Another problem is that the United States doesn't really have the right geography for, or I guess topography, 
for hippos? So that is the perfect lead-in to <laughs> the next point, which was brought not by Mr. Burnham or Mr. Duquesne. It was brought forward by Louisiana Congressman Robert Broussard. That's right. Somebody in the United States Congress bought on to this idea, and he saw the value in it for the meat question, but he also had his own agenda that he was trying to solve. As I said, Congressman from Louisiana. In 1884, a visiting Japanese delegation brought the gift of water hyacinths. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say that flower? They brought water hyacinths to New Orleans as a greeting. Those flowers are extremely invasive because they reproduce asexually. So they don't need pollination. They just grow like a weed. Mm -hmm. When they were first brought over, the citizens of Louisiana would plant them in their ponds and in fountains and short water waves. And within 20 years, they were so overpopulated and so invasive that they took over surrounding rivers. They were killing large populations of fish. They were even clogging ports and ships were unable to navigate through because they was just so clogged with these hyacinths. Now, doing a little research, Congressman Broussard realized that hippopotamuses eat hyacinths. In fact, they eat large quantities of hyacinths and predicted that within five years of a stable hippopotamus population in the Gulf Coast could eradicate this problem of an invasive species. So that's two pros for having hippos in the US. They solve the meat question and they solve a environmental conundrum that the Southeast United States was was facing. But how would they solve the meat question if you can't kill them all to eat them because they're eating all the water hyacinths? Well, they also found that the Gulf Coast was the perfect climate to raise hippopotamuses. So essentially, the idea was how we have cattle ranches, we have pig farms, we establish hippopotamus farms. So not only do we have enough in the population to tackle the hyacinths, but we're constantly killing them and eating them. That's a double-edged sword if you ask me. Sounds like a fast track to some unethical animal practices. So that was something that was brought up by a couple of congressmen when they took this proposal <laughs> To Washington DC and I don't remember if it was if it was Mr. Burnham or Mr. Duquesne but they one of them argued that what makes it unethical what is unethical about eating a hippopotamus but not unethical about eating a cow or a chicken or a fish it brought back into play the the matter of it being a psychological barrier for why people weren't eating hippopotamuses and they said that you give it 10 to 20 years and you get past that mental barrier it's going to be normal and then generations moving forward eating hippos is going to be as normal as sitting down at thanksgiving for a turkey instead of a christmas ham you've got a christmas hippo brisket which people in africa both united states explorers and native people have said that brisket on hippopotamus is delicious they said that only the skin is tough but once you get past that layer the meat is pretty succulent hmm. any thoughts so far i guess what i would say to to that hypothetical argument of why is it less ethical than, you know, the cows and the chickens and the turkeys and whatever 
And I don't think that necessarily just the eating of the hippos is unethical. I think that that would have been a fast track to exactly what our, you know, cattle ranches look like now, our overpopulated dairy farms, which we know is because of the government. Um, You're jumping the gun with that, Nat. We're getting to that later. (laughs) Well, I'm just giving you my thoughts because hippos are incredibly aggressive and dangerous. And so there would have to be measures in place to subdue the hippos or genetically alter them in some way to make them less aggressive or to keep them in line and give them less of their natural state of being because they wouldn't be allowed to exist in the way that they actually exist, if that makes sense. That is agreed. And in everything that me and Hillary were reading, nobody ever really talked about (laughs) the hippo's aggressive nature, at least not as the most they talked about it was kind of as a passing thought. Mm -hmm. It never really got to the stage of figuring out logistically, how do we ranch these, these hippos? I want to introduce a fourth character into this story. William Newton Irwin was a veteran researcher at the pomological branch at the Bureau of Plant Industry at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. He also was known for really extravagant and just bizarre food theories and pitching ideas for what people should be eating versus what they are eating. For example... One of his better known campaigns was to try to convert Americans from eating chicken eggs to eating turkey eggs. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on that? What's the difference? So the advantages that were brought forth by Mr. Irwin were that turkey eggs are richer, larger, and more nutritious than their chicken counterparts and have thicker shells and membranes so they stayed fresh longer. He even contended that you could go six months without eating a turkey egg and it would still be fresh. So he was pretty open to the idea of eating hippopotamuses. He first laid out the case for it while delivering a paper at a conference in, you guessed it, Missouri, (laughs) in which he noted the growing meat crisis in America and laid out how in the past, the U.S.'s response to overpopulation was to expand west. The U.S. was now at a point where they could not expand west any further. So not only were they trying to solve this meat population question, but it was really a matter of How do we utilize our resources to the best of our abilities moving forward, right? Yeah. And that was kind of the overarching goal of these four gentlemen was really diversify the resource portfolio. And that's what's going to help the United States for generations to come. Mm -hmm. And they believe that the hippo... Was the best start for this. So they take their case to Congress. And Congress starts to kind of go along with this idea. They start to really agree with these four gentlemen. And they almost pass a vote for it. (laughs) So they go to Congress in 1910. And Congressman Broussard introduced H.R. 23261, which became known as the Hippo Bill. And what this bill was asking for was the designation of $250,000, which is worth $7 million in today's money. They were looking for $7 million to trap and export hippopotamuses and establish cattle ranches for them, or I guess hippo ranches for them, in the Gulf of Mexico. This bill never came to a formal vote because it was the end of the term and they were breaking for recess. 
However, most experts agree that had they had the time to bring it to a vote, the hippo bill would have passed. Well, that's kind of Think crazy. about that. It went from this wild idea to we could have been eating hippos. And one hippo, for the record, can give up to 1,000 pounds of meat. 1,000 pounds of meat feeds a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But as I said, they never came to a vote. They then started planning for bringing the bill back up once Congress came into the session the following year, and they were confident that the bill would have been passed at that point. So Broussard, Dequense, and Burnham started the New Food Supply Society, which was essentially a lobbying group, to promote this idea and get this bill passed in Congress. They contacted reporters. Dequense went to Africa and was writing articles and doing research to send back to U.S. newspapers promoting the idea of the viability of ranching and harvesting hippos for both meat and invasive species mitigation. Broussard was going and giving talks to several organizations, as was Mr. Burnham, and they're rolling, right? They've got a good thing going, and they even would serve hippo to reporters. In fact, I don't have the note in front of me, but one of the three invited a group of reporters to pitch this idea, fed them hippopotamuses, and in the back was a large blown up photo of five natives in Africa skinning the hippo that they were eating. Pleasant. Right. I said right really weird right there because it's just I, I was looking through this all day and the more like I said, the more you go into it, just the more wild it gets. So what happened? Right. They have a lobbying group. They've got support in Congress. They've got a pretty viable argument. Why aren't we sitting down to some hippo brisket right now? No one really knows. As with a lot of bills that are introduced to Congress, a majority of them fizzle out and that that is really what happened with the hippo bill. So they just stopped lobbying for it? So we'll get into this in part two, but it started fizzling out. Congressman Broussard was running for re-election. So, you know, his focus shifted attention from passing this bill to winning his district. Even though it was unopposed, he really went on a hard campaign trail. Dequense was starting to get frustrated because he f- was really in it for the money and he feels that he wasn't being compensated correctly. Burnham was just kind of over it all. Wars erupted in Mexico that Burnham went to attend to. And then World War II happened or excuse me, World War One happened. And that really just wiped out any interest, any effort that was being put into the hippopotamus bill. How was the meat question solved? Because we're still here, we're eating good, and we're still eating cow, pig, chicken, turkey. What was their solution? Well, Natalie hit on it. And instead of diversifying the life and the animals and the plants that are in the US, it was basically altering what resources that that we have and had already depleted in making it work for what we needed. What does that mean? Well, instead of having cows utilize all of this graze land, shrink what they need. Don't give them as much resources. And what ended up happening was the solution to the meat question was factory farming. And as mm-hmm. we all know, a new extremely bad problem, for lack of a better term, has come from it. It was either eat hippos or factory farm. And the U.S. at that point in time chose factory farming. And is anyone surprised? No. Disappointed. (laughs) 
But it makes you wonder if we'll ever get to a point where somebody would reintroduce this to Congress. Now, I think if they did, they would be ostracized. I don't think it would get the ears that it got back in 1910. But it was, you have to, for how crazy it was, you have to give it credit, right? You gotta give, you gotta give the, the three guys hoots, you know, congratulatory chutzpah, if that makes sense. <laughs> they came up with a solution and it wasn't terrible. At face value, it was really weird. But when you dug into it, it's true. The psychology of it. What's different about eating hippos? It would solve uh, the invasive species problem in the Gulf of Mexico. It would solve the meat problem. It would diversify the life that we have in the U.S. Who knows what it would have looked like at this point? So that's part one of the hippo question of the hippo... <laughs> meat eating possibility in part two we'll go into the background i didn't have time to research this and it i mean that this second part goes way deeper because both burnham and dekense are extremely eccentric individuals and i can't get into it because it'll ruin it will really spoil what's next but i want to i want to spend the rest of the episode just dissecting more more discussion on the hippo bill on hr 23261 the meat question in general and what you would have done if you were in the new food supply society <laughs> it's definitely an interesting concept not one i would have considered so I do feel you like, think you would have eaten hippo i mean i don't know i don't think that i would not eat it i mean i like bison burgers and i've had true i think i've had alligator i don't remember um but you know i don't think there's definitely a lot of like ethical questions to it like moral questions because i don't think that eating animals is bad like i it's to some extent we are omnivores and like that's how the world works i think it's different for humans because we you know have choice and free will and it's not we're not just you know animals in the food chain so i feel like there's a lot of other considerations Besides just is eating a hippo bad? Because I don't think in theory it is because in some parts of the world it may be, you know, they're cows or whatever. Um, I think logistically it's a bad idea. And I think that, like I said before, I think that the concept of hippo ranches just sounds like a bad idea and it sounds like something that would lead to some real shitty solutions to some very significant problems. Yeah, you have to wonder, because even the best solutions are going to have their problems. Were there any ecologists or biologists or environmental scientists? Was anyone qualified in this scenario to say... Yes, the hippos will effectively deplete the water hyacinth population or no, hippos will not have a negative effect on the environment of the United States. Like was was anyone really qualified to be saying these things or was it a senator who was doing his own research, which we know now is not a good thing. So Burnham and Dickensee spent a lot of time in Africa and Congressman Broussard from what I could tell, had talked with people from the agriculture department, had talked with both Dekense and Broussard because he brought them in to be the experts. As far as renowned ecologists and environmentalists, none of them were listed. So I assume not, but I, 
I believe that there were more people than not saying that it would be a solution, not the most viable solution, but definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't mention that they were asking for $250,000, the seven, $7 million today's money, to enact all this. Getting a hippo or getting several hippos from Africa to the U.S. would have cost infinitely more than the money that they were budgeting. So Uh even if this had passed, they still had so many hurdles to get over to actually bring hippos to the U.S., Mm-hmm. Now, my next question is, if someone came to you tonight and offered you hippopotamus jerky, would you eat it? I think I'd ask them where they got it. If you and Sam <laughs> <laughs> were in Disney World on your honeymoon and you were in Epcot and you went into a food establishment and they had hippopotamus jerky and they were giving out free samples, would you eat it? I'd probably try it. You'd probably try it? I think I would too. And in fact, they really painted hippopotamus brisket as a delicacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> I will also say that one, because I don't know if you thought it, I thought it right away for the meat question when they were coming up with how do we get more food into the supply chain. Uh, eating dogs was <laughs> was pitched at some point. It was never seriously considered, but people were pitching it. Uh-huh. Then again, that goes back into the... Now, I am not condoning this. I think that there's a difference. But it goes back into Burnham's argument of psychology. Why is it acceptable to eat a cow and not a dog? Mm-hmm. Some cultures do it. Me personally, I would never do it. I just... No, we're not even going to go down that road. But that was pitched as as a possible solution. I'm also going down the, the list of notes that Hillary typed up because, as I said, Said she helped me with the research and I just saw this at the bottom of the page I think it's a good last kind of point to make at least in this episode this one is so wild it's kind of hard to <laughs> really discuss all the points because it's you really got to unpack it like I said this is uh-huh. dense so in part two we'll rebrief this and we'll go into the backgrounds of these three characters and then maybe we'll even have a part three where we just pour more into this as and once we have time to kind of mine chew on this but i want to leave you with this so hippos were never brought into the u.s right as, at least with this hippo proposal so we never got to answer the question that you keep bringing up with which was the viability of it right mm-hmm. what what would it look like with hippos here how would the population be controlled we have somewhat of an answer in the late 1980s pablo escobar bought four hippos and kept them at his home in colombia in south america We knew that. I didn't know this. Yeah, you did. That was on an episode of Radio Feud. Mm. (laughs) That was when you wanted to race the hippos. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well, well, for the the listeners, because I'm (laughs) sure most people don't know this. So 1980s, Escobar, four hippos. When he died, surprise, surprise, they were deemed too difficult to move. So that answers the question of, could we have really even gotten one from Africa (laughs) to the United States? The answer... Probably not, especially back in the 19, you know, 1910s, 1920s. So he started with four. Because they were too difficult to move, they just left them there to roam his abandoned estate. By 2007, 
That population was up to 16 hippos, and they moved beyond their original confines of the estate and started mm -hmm. expanding their territory. In 2009, a group of three hippos branched off from the original group and started to establish their own territory. They went on to attack nearby farmers and kill their cattle. So the farmers, in retaliation, killed the hippos, which wasn't taken kindly by the public. In an attempt to control the population, one of the male hippos was caught, castrated, and released to the tune of about $50,000. Oh All God. other attempts to control or curtail the population have been deemed too costly and too difficult to attempt. As of last year, there are no plans by the government to try to control the hippo population anymore, but the longer they delay addressing the issue, the harder it will be to manage down the road and the population continues to grow. So... Just keep an eye on Colombia because there is a growing situation and it pretty much answers our question now that thank God we didn't bring hippos to the U.S. Because <laughs> the U.S. would be run by hippos at this point. It would have been animal farm, but without pigs, it would have been hippos. <laughs> I think they're fairly intelligent too. Fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars to castrate mm -hmm. one hippo. <laughs> the fact that they even caught this hippo, kudos to them. And I know what a lot of people are thinking. You see the videos of hippos in the zoos. You go to the zoos and you see them. I know Fiona is adorable at the Cincinnati Zoo. And for hippos, they're pretty well trained. They're still extremely dangerous and they could turn on a dime. Not only that, but you have to think of the amount of time that zookeepers spend with these animals to get them used to them and get them somewhat domesticated. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that with a ranch full of hippos. No. So those hippos aren't like Fiona at the zoo. They're wild animals. You cannot control them. And if they're pissed off at you, it's not going to end well. One farmer against a, not a field because they'll be in a swamp, but one farmer against a swamp full of hippos is disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. You were going to say something at that. You, I cut you off. That's okay. Um, I don't know a whole lot about hippos and like their behaviors and their lifestyle, but I don't think they live in huge family groups. So like the idea of like a ranch full of hippos I don't think that works. Like, I don't think hippos are meant to live in groups of 50. I think that they live in smaller family groups. So that would create even more of a problem because they're probably not super receptive to being overcrowded. Right. Because they're super aggressive. I mean, even with just 16 at mm -hmm. Pablo Escobar's estate, three of them moved on because it was too crowded. Right. So then you've got factions of hippos that are not only pissed off at you... <laughs> but also at all the other hippos around them. What an interesting case study in both socioeconomics, <laughs> agriculture, and just zoology. I mean, we hit it all today, folks. That's a lot to unpack. Not a lot of discussion on this one. And I think you're in the same boat that I still am. I'm just trying to digest this whole thing. I mean, really, just this whole thing. That was part one. That was that was the juicy hippo meat, the meat question, the hippo bill. Part two, we'll start to learn more about the people that introduced this bill. We'll get into their past, their mindset, and figure out who the heck would even come up with this? But there you have it. That was a uh, conspiracies. I like it. Conspiracies. <laughs>
Number two, the hippo meat dilemma. If you like what you heard, make sure you follow us on all of your favorite podcast listening platforms, whether that be Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We also post the episodes on Facebook every Monday. Thank you guys so much for listening to us since we started, but specifically season five. We've had a great time this season. We've had a great time this whole year. We've really had some great guests, some great episodes, and we are so excited to keep moving forward and to keep sharing this with you guys. We love making these episodes for you. We love entertaining you, and we love <laughs> making you think about eating hippo meat. That was that was really the goal, but we're not done yet. Like I said, two more specials this year. One will be beginning of November, and the other one will be around Christmas time, so look out for that. We'll make sure to keep you guys updated on Facebook with that, but before we go, Natalie, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that there were almost roving hippos in the United States in the early 1900s, and our lives would have been very different if that were the case. We also learned that apparently hippo brisket is worth a try, and we learned that we're five seasons in. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) We also learned that Congress is willing to take up and possibly vote on bills allocating funds to import hippos from Africa to the United States. We learned that there is a rogue faction of hippos in Colombia, South America, and that is a story to keep an eye on. And we learned that it is okay to reiterate what Nat just said. Season five, baby! This has been the Hit and Run podcast. We love you all, and we'll catch you next time. (laughs) 